Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 197. Today is Sunday the 29th of May 2016 and this interview is with Pete Downton, Deputy CEO of 7Digital, a publicly traded agency that has a digital music platform with nearly 50 million tracks, powering 50 music services around the world. In this podcast, we discuss with Pete the state of the music industry, some of the most important trends in music, including the role of the DJ, as well as MQA in the technological advancements in digital music quality, what it takes for musicians to succeed in today's world, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So Pete Downton, great to have you on the show. We met uh, a couple of years back at South by Southwest, and I would say it's probably one of the greatest reasons that I, great proof of the reasons why going to South by Southwest to meet people like you in music. So Pete, tell us who you are and what you do and what's your mindset. Um, so I'm Pete Downton. I'm Deputy CEO of 7Digital, um, a business-to-business um, technology and creative company based in London, listed on the UK markets. And my mindset is, well, music's an incredibly simple business made complicated by vested interests. No, in all seriousness, music's simple. It's about artists and fans and how you connect those two groups. And so for me, I've spent much of the last 16, 17 years of my life working at recorded music companies and at technology businesses trying to bring together those two groups on platforms to help grow the music industry. Well, it's funny, the last guest I had on the show is Margaret Malloy, who is this wonderful CMO in, in Ireland, in, in New York, um, works at Siegel and Gale. And she was saying how business is extremely complicated. It's all about making it simple. So it's just the, almost the same, same surfing back in. So, Pete, you, you're in business. So, 7Digital, how big is it? Just to give us an idea uh, what size is. So, we're about £10 million sterling in revenues. We're 150 people, um, offices in London, Manchester, um, Paris, Lille, um, San Francisco, New York. So, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're a fairly large, small business in the music industry. Our, our, kind of, our reach is, is very significant in, in that we power 50 music services in 33 countries around the world. So, that means that every day... In about 170 countries, people are listening to music on platforms that we've developed. And how many? How much music do you have available when you offer it to your customers? Um, so on our platform, we have about four, just under 50 million tracks. So if you were to go to any of the services we power and compare it with um, the larger music consumer brands like Apple and Amazon and Spotify, you'd find the same collection. And every month we ingest about a million tracks from over 45,000 record labels around the world. I just, I mean, I have no idea. How many tracks are there out there? So it's 48 million is what percentage of, you know, does everyone have any idea? Um, well, there are, there are various theories. Um, we think that the, the global music catalog in terms of the commercial license catalog will grow to about 100 million over the next three, four years. And we think that that's kind of it in terms of the, 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 the works that have been captured and licensed. And But I mean... You know, the, the interesting thing about the music industry, you know, 200 years ago, the music industry was all about performing music as opposed mm-hmm. to listening to music. The industry has gone through a period of being performance to audience. And I think, you know, the music catalogue grows 
exponentially every year in terms of music that's been produced for people's own personal interests. So 100 million is a good start. Yeah, it seems like, well, it's, we're going to talk about the music industry in a second and how crazily it has changed. But it's one of those industries which is where the access and democratization of, of music is allowing everybody and their grandmother to, to create music and put it up online. It is. However, um, you know, the paradox of choice, you know, the, if you have access to 48 million tracks, does that give you a better music experience? And if you have a, a linear you know, broadcast, a, a radio station and a DJ who you trust. And I think that's, that's really one of the, the interesting things we're seeing in the, in the market over the last 24 months is that it's, things have started to settle down. So instead of the market really being about super serving, you know, the 20 percent of people who really understand music, care about music, would have collected music in the in the in the physical CD and vinyl days. It's now really about how you can expose that 80 percent to music that's going to inspire them, change their lives, make their day a little bit better. Would it be fair to say then that that's one of the explanations why the DJ has taken on such a new and a huge role in music? I think it's it's certainly why you've seen over the last year and a half, you know, the 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 rise of the DJ in in two senses. One is, you know, the ability uh, for a business like Apple to make music really really meaningful to cut through. They've recognised that actually many of the principles that built the radio industry are actually very very sound principles in the digital context so zane low um and the, the the launch of beats music 18 months ago or there or thereabouts was for us a very natural thing to see in the marketplace it's kind of crazy that it's taken so long for it to to appear i think it was george bernard Shaw once said you should never take down a wall until you understand why it's been put up mm-hmm. and so many of the principles that worked in the old you know physical um, music work days and the the analog broadcast days are absolutely as relevant today mm-hmm. but i think you know, as people's lives become increasingly, you know, um, full, uh, and and the amount of contact we we have with different information feeds, I think the role of the DJ just gets more and more important. Someone to help you filter out and find things that you care about. So, yeah. so yeah, I think I think we we're only just starting to see, actually, many in many ways, the emergence of some of the old models. It's funny. So my my company's called Mindset, and there's a great DJ out on the West Coast. It's called Mindset, spelled the same way. So I get to know, I get to follow through them a little bit. Before we get jumping back into 7Digital, I want to get into something that's probably going to touch everybody who's listening, which is the quality of digital music. So basically speaking, the fact that we have these Walkmans that have been digitized and can be playing in our ear in the space, I don't know, of a thimble is fantastic. But of course, in order to get that to happen, they've had to compress it somewhat. For the experts, they're thinking this is not good quality. For the regular punter, I don't know to what extent they really understand that and the payoff between the size and the quality. But tell us, is it possible that we're, I mean, I know you work in this other project, but are we going to be able to reconcile speed, size, and quality? Absolutely. It's a good question. And it's, um, you know, having having spent 11 years in the recorded music industry as a recovering record company executive, I kind of, I was there at the period when the industry took a, a significant step down in quality. MP3 in the late nineties, early noughties was a, a, a wonderful thing because it enabled us to make music incredibly convenient for, for devices and for, you know, in simple terms, the ability to deliver a file on a network. Um, that said, the industry's barely moved on since then and it's kind of almost hard to believe 
that the industry has actually diminished the quality of the product, the end experience, you know, since the early 1980s. And no one intended that to happen. It's the law of unintended consequences, right? No one sat there, whether it be in a record label or a music fan, and and decided they wanted a worse experience. So by this you mean the movement from the vinyl to the CD to the DAT to the to the disc? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the 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 end of that journey really was the jump onto MP3 when network quality meant that you could deliver a file of a certain size and the mp3 came along just at the right time fortunately um you know i've been fortunate enough to work with one of the world's leading audio scientists a guy um by the name of bob stewart who, who, who who's been a, an innovator since the since the late 1960s in audio and over the last few years we've been really excited to work with him on a project called mqa um which what is that stand for uh, master quality authenticated um so essentially builds on developments in neuroscience over the last 20 years and by looking at you know the the way that digital sampling happened in the 1950s and 60s he's been able to reinvent that process and and the upshot for normal people for those of us who just want to experience um, the end product is that we can listen to studio quality sound now streamed on a mobile network and so for me, it's incredibly exciting because it's, it gives the industry an opportunity to upgrade the experience. And whilst you, you know, the, there will always be those people who want to sit in a darkened room listening to the dark side of the moon on a 180-gram vinyl record with incredibly expensive hi-fi equipment. For, with a joint or not? Uh, with, with or without a joint. What's incredibly exciting about this is that it, it's actually... It can be experienced on any equipment. It's, enti- it's entirely backward compatible. So if you're listening to this on a mobile phone, you'll get a much better experience than you would have got from a CD recording. So it's democratizing that high-resolution experience. It's, it's no longer about a niche experience. And for me, the really important thing there is that when people hear music in that quality, they have a, a greater emotional attachment to that. They become more connected to the artist. The subtleties of the recording process are, are, are laid bare. And and so for me, it's kind of a bit of a no-brainer. The industry should care about the sound, the audio quality. It's but the technical barriers to doing that have now been ripped away. So very exciting to be part of that. It's um, it's something that, however, needs to be felt across the entire industry for 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 us all to benefit from. This is about raising um, the the quality across all services, not just those that we power. And making it the standard that everyone else uses. Yeah, um, and 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 I, I hesitate when you say the word standard because whenever I hear the word standards, I think about committees, and you think about you know orga- organizing organizing yourselves to to make money from something. It, it it it's it's definitely massively increasing the the expectation of the end consumer, and therefore it will benefit. It will be a standard for a period of time. Other things may come that replace it. The important thing is that we've started a journey away from you know convenience at the expense of quality. There's no reason that we can't deliver both of those things. All right, so just want to one unpack one piece of this, which is you said you the idea of using neuroscience. So what, the way I take away that with a little cynical mind is you're screwing with my mind to make it sound like it's great quality. No, it's, it's, it's actually the, the understanding over the last 20 years in, that neuroscience has given us that the brain has far more, has, is far more complex in the way it processes audio than we previously thought. It's actually about the time domain. Our brains are incredibly, incredibly sensitive to time. Um, and that comes from you know tens of thousands of years of human evolution, fight or flight. You know our ability to to, to really understand um, 
where an object is because of the uh, the sound of a mm-hmm. of a twig cracking so, in the forest. Yeah. So so when I say neuroscience, this is not about messing with your mind. It's mm-hmm. actually just about understanding the way the mind works, mm-hmm. and, and and thereby having a far more efficient way of d- of capturing and then delivering the audio. All right, so with this MQA, is it something we can play on everything? Give, give, as a punter, how can I have access to that? Where can I get it? Um, well, today you can only get it on a, on a, on a few places, uh, a few services that we power. But um, in, in recent weeks, there have been announcements from Warner Music Group and for, from the Record Industry of America, Association of America. Um, so the first time the industry has, has endorsed this new format. So over the next 6, 12 months, you'll start to see services rolling this out. Um, when you have an MQA file, the beauty of it is it will play on any audio equipment. So if you don't have the decoder that gives you that that ultimate experience of studio quality, you will still get better than CD quality. Mm-hmm. So it's not a it's not a case of building a new format from device one and from recording one. The important thing is also that it can be applied to the entire catalogue, anything that's been recorded in 12 bits or above. So the 48 million tracks we were talking about earlier will all be, it's possible to improve the quality of all of those tracks using this new technology. I assume it's a little bit garbage in, garbage out. So if you start with, with anything, you're not able to enhance the original quality. In other words, if it was done on an eight track or, or a one track, uh, poor quality, you how can you can you improve that or does it rely on what you have at the beginning absolutely you can improve existing recordings it's um, it understands the profile of the equipment used in the studio when the master was created and it's able to to improve the the output by understanding the characteristics you know so essentially it's 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 removing a lot of the noise that was baked into the into the the process the mastering process based on old te- technologies and old techniques so it's imagine you're looking at a picture and it's been you know you've, you've got a veil of, of dust on that picture and, and you're essentially wiping away that dust removing the mm-hmm. unnecessary filter that's preventing you from seeing that kind of sharp picture mm-hmm. and so it, it has a demonstrable improve improvement over a, a recordings that have already been made but of course it's even better if you're taken to the studio today mm-hmm. and you and right. you have access to the high source right, to the soundtrack so, um, soundboard. So, what about uh, just telling us the punters who don't know so well, things like Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes, the quality they're getting on a .aac or on sh- on Spotify, are a Deezer. Is that quality? Are they also working on the quality, or is it? Are we sort of bound to the MP3 kind of land? In so, so, so much much of what's happened in the last two or three years is that the existing music streaming services have been attempting to get back up to CD quality. So, back up to a, an experience we had in the 1980s. Um, ironically, what this is about is about delivering slightly better than that as a minimum experience mm-hmm. and then going right up to studio quality mm-hmm. so you know which is which is a something the realms of which only the real high-end audio files have ever been able to experience before and it's really about doing that you know to a mass market mainstream consumer I have at home as an old guy my old huge uh, speakers that are expensive still wired is this does this mean that if an MQA gets massively distributed, we all should be going back and undusting our big speakers uh, to really capitalize on that quality? Um, if you if you have those speakers, absolutely. But I, I think again, because this is um, a technology that's been 
you know, created for today's world, it also means that if you're buying um, some wireless speakers in, in the next few years, those wireless speakers are likely to be able to support MQA natively anyway. So, but but of course, if you have those beautiful speakers, you should never have them in a dusty corner. <laughs> you know, just teasing. So you've been in the industry, the music industry, for such a long time. How would you describe the state of the music industry these days? Um, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I kind of categorize what certainly the digital, you know, the digital transformation of the music industry in, in three ages. The first age really was about piracy and it was about the industry trying to litigate in order to preserve a, a business model that was always going to be really um, disrupted by new technology very unsuccessfully and I was in the industry at that time so we became Master. yeah absolutely I mean we, we went through the abbreviated grieving process right you know so we did anger really well um, and then you know in 2002 with the launch of iTunes the industry saw an opportunity to replace revenues that were being lost from the sale of physical products um, and then you know really for most of the next 12 years that's what motivated most of the behavior. It was really about CD replacement. How can you re- replace these lost revenues? It's an industry that went from 30 billion years damage at its peak down to 15 billion. I think in the last two years, we're seeing the third age of digital music, which is really about expansion, digital expansion. It's how can the industry organize itself, not just to serve those people who know what they want to collect. They used to build physical vinyl collections and CD collections, you know, the 20% music aficionados. It's really how can you provide better musical experiences for the 80%, for those people who music is probably not as important a a piece of their lives in their 30s, 40s and 50s as it was in their teens and their, their 20s. And for me, that's really exciting because it means we started to move away from this kind of narrow focus of a handful of service providers in a handful of markets. You know, last year, 75% of recorded music sales came from five countries, which is incredible when you think about how widely distributed connected devices are today. Billions of connected devices shipping into, into regions where there's never really been a viable music market. So... This third age of, of digital music, music, you know, digital expansion, is really a fusing together of what the market that used to be served by radio. You know, today we have almost you know over four billion people listening to music on radio every month, and and less than sixty million people paying to access music through streaming services. That's a cr- tremendous op- opportunity for the music industry. Mm-hmm. And whilst the you know the music retail industry has gone from thirty billion down to fifteen. You know, radio is is pretty healthy up there today at forty four billion dollars, of which seventy five percent is ad supported. So it's it's commercial radio, and we think as those two industries come together, that creates huge opportunities for the music industry. And we have a team of experts. You know, we have a team of experts. Fifty percent of our of our team come from a technology background. They're building platforms. They're building applications. You know, for those you know those fifty services around around the world. But 25% of our, our, people, of our teams uh, come from Seven Digital Creative and, and they produce some amazing programming for the BBC and some amazing content for um, our services. And they're storytellers. You know, people, they, wanna, they want music to touch their lives. They want, they want music to take away from their daily lives. They want to find and discover new music. And so for me, the exciting thing about this business when we formed um, the new Seven Digital through a merger of two companies two years ago was to bring together those two sets of skills into a single company. 
with your the seven digital content or creative tell us about the data play is there is there a big data play in how you create stories are you leveraging the other side of the business to understand what people want and how they consume absolutely i think it's um you know the the music industry historically has been a an industry that was a wholesale industry so you'd manufacture the cds you'd ship them to the warehouse and you'd the distributors would get them into retail and you'd cross your fingers and hope they sold I mean, it's some pulling forget- through the radio. Pull, yeah, pulling, being pulled through the radio, being pulled through traditional media. But it really is, you know, there's nothing like the feeling of the first Tuesdays midweek in the UK. So the midweek is an internal thing where the industry gets a first cut of the sales chart. Mm-hmm. And so you could work on a project for 18 months, and it was really the Tuesday lunchtime before you knew mm-hmm. if you were going to be fighting to keep it in retail right. or you were going to be restocking because it was selling through. And that was the same the world over. In, in the music industry. We now live in a world where, you know, just in our business, 50 services across 33 countries, we can see in real time, you know, what a, you know, we see in a, in a heat map what a billion API impressions look like. Mm-hmm. So by, by taking an understanding of the content that's been made available, whether that's the recording, the musical work, or whether it's a program that's being created, and understanding patterns of activity and behavior, I think that's really what's going to drive this third, the third age of digital music. It's really understanding um, just the simple, the simple things. If, you, if a program's working or if, a, if a, a, an album's working or a piece of music's working, you can see that in real time now. Just so I understand, you have this massive database, 48 million tracks, which you have available and are being licensed out. Do you have a meta view on all of that, or is, is each of them, as they're sold into an organization, independently isolated and siloed out? Or do you have ability to view how they're being used and listened to, consumed, across all the other your clients, per se? So we, we, have a, we have the kind of mega view of everything that's been streamed on the platform um, because it's all been streamed through our CDNs and, th- and, and from our platform. Some of, what, some of the data that we, that we, uh, we capture um, is, is absolutely proprietary to a client. So, uh, and understandably so. But what we can see are the, kind of the, 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 the main trends, what's working. We can see when a, a piece of music is starting to bubble up in a country or we can see if someone's running a a program whether that stimulates people buying music or streaming music from the from an associated artist and i think that's really in our belief is that by bringing that kind of transparency we can help the industry be more effective and more efficient mm-hmm. at the way it makes music available and importantly we can also really help our clients understand what's working mm-hmm. and, and and really you know what we have is we have experts in our business the expertise ranges from storytelling around musical programming to how do you stream a piece of music in a tenth of a second into India or Brazil and it, and so it's that blend of expertise and we serve you know obviously our clients you know we're paid by our clients who are building the music services but we feel that we have a real responsibility not just to the music labels and the publishers but also we work closely with the artist management community to help them inform them about what's working mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to do here is accelerate that third age of digital music. Mm-hmm. And you do that by really just understanding cause and effect. All right, so one of the um, key things that has also been exciting to watch is how musicians are marketing themselves. And so you, are, you know so well the industry. And I would be interested 
to find out how you think musicians are evolving and what kinds of trends you see in the way musicians are marketing themselves in this business? So, I mean, artists have, have always, you know, successful artists have always been successful entrepreneurs, um, in my experience. And, and some of the, some of the artists want to spend the time and effort being the CEO of their business. Others would, would prefer to bring in expertise from outside their managers or their advisors. And I think what we are starting to see now is, you know, the most successful artists have usually got the most successful entrepreneurs, the teams that they're building around them are, are really aware of the kind of data that they can capture the, the extent to which they can have a direct, relationship with their with their fan base and their audience and the way that they can use data from a whole series of different platforms to inform their kind of business plan for for their artist the in the old world you would see you know the recorded music component so the selling of an album on average an album would sell 75 percent of its value in the first three months of release which is essentially one and a half singles deep and then the record, the record company would pull away, and then it would be about the live business. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing really joining up those two cycles. Mm-hmm. What we see now, the successful artists and their teams understand that entire um, process, the entire cycle. Mm-hmm. And they're capturing and harvesting data from each part of that. And they, they don't abdicate responsibility. They understand, um, the, they understand their audiences. And so we're starting to see artists organize themselves far more efficiently. And we're starting to see artists, importantly, sharing learnings amongst themselves. You know, the artist bodies like the Featured Artist Coalition um, and the International Artists Organizations are, are providing a great service in helping share those experiences and spread expertise. Not at the expense of record labels and publishers. Actually, if you want to build a, an artist's career, internationally the chances are you're going to work with record labels and publishers still but they're taking more of the responsibility for understanding those trends understanding that data and and they have a view of it centrally whereas previously it would be distributed across a number of their partners from the promoters to the agents to the music companies so uh, pete one of the things that your your commentary made me think of and i'm not going to ask you necessarily to comment on it but you know sharing best practices is nothing better than dying in terms of making your sales go. And I have to imagine that, that the preparation for the death and, and what that means for the massive boost for certain titles, I and mean, we saw that happen with Prince and yeah. Bowie and so on, you should be preparing. I mean, we talk in the new digital age about preparing for the death when we have our Facebook page that hasn't been closed down or isn't closed downable. There's a whole new era and, and accessibility to music uh, when you die. Any questions, thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, in the in the number of years I've been in the industry, you've seen a number of, of a, a number of astonishing artists, unfortunately, no longer with us. And the activity is that results from that, from Frank Sinatra when I was in the physical CD business, you know, where it was about who 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 could stock retail fastest, to yeah, and. To the digital age, which is actually, I, you know, I think back to the early point about DJs and the role of radio. If you look at the way that the digital services reacted to the news of Prince's death just a few weeks ago, it's quite astonishing just how unprepared digital music platforms are for those real-time events. Um, you know, the the reaction and the, of Radio One and and 
the BBC network in terms of changing their programming in real time versus a, you know a business with the sophistication of Apple that took days to really change the way that they editorialized and they programmed their their home page as a result i think it it really does it really does bring a stark reminder that the digital world that ex- as it exists today is not as connected with you know the the general public as the industry in its bubble likes to think it is. It's funny because I mean, your radio, you could think of nothing more impromptu, more real time than a radio station. I mean, it's live on air for the most part. And it's sort of counterintuitive that it's not real time. Um, well, actually, radio in that instance, you know, was far more reactive and responsive. Mm-hmm. I think far more than the digital music services, the big consumer brands. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and so they immediately radio stations reacted to this they mm-hmm. changed their playlists they oh, they meant BBC One television then yeah right. I'm talking about BBC One television BBC One radio mm-hmm. as opposed to digital music oh, services where it took them days in some cases to even respond to it and when they did it wasn't about the stories around the artist's life his career and, and, and the ex- impact he's had on society as a whole it was a playlist and so I think music is music is really about emotion it's about people and i think if you think about the 10 years or so that the industry was really obsessed with cd replacement it was missing this tremendous opportunity to make music more relevant in people's lives and i think that's when i look forward for the music industry i'm full of optimism because actually we've scratched the surface in terms of the kinds of business models we're supporting but the extent to which we can make music more a part of people's lives and more real time the 80%. So uh, last uh, area of question, uh, Pete, was, is regard to your business as how you run it. So you're a deputy CEO of Seven Digital, and 80% of your business is business-to-business platform. Um, so with regard to how you go about marketing yourself, I was just curious as to how much of your marketing is actually in digital per se, and how much of it is the old analog manner. And, and what do you do to do in digital that you think works well? Yeah, I think in, in digital... Um, we, we we really rely heavily on on social networks, both you know the the, the more mainstream social networks, connecting kind of connecting people from our industry and from the adjacent industries, and you know LinkedIn re- remarkably is is one of the most regular um, channels through which businesses around the world reaches because they can they can reach us through two or three connections i think so it's uh, historically our business has very much been dominated by inbound opportunities there are three major record labels in the world Mm -hmm. and and if you want to launch a music service anywhere in the world that includes major repertoire works well then it's you we're usually two or three phone calls away i think what we what we're really starting to to examine now is as music breaks out of this kind of niche, the audiophile music, the CD replacement marketplace, we're we're starting to explore which conferences we need to be at in order to reach, um, you know, the 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 more the the bigger opportunity for the industry. You know, the um, you know, as I said earlier, the the radio industry is is has been doing relatively well over the last 10, 15 years as the music industry's, the recorded music industry has shrunk almost half in size. Mm-hmm. And that's because it, 
he benefits from broader brand um, brands in the marketplace trying to trying to make a connection with an audience. The seventy five percent of their forty four billion dollars revenue comes from advertising. If I think about the great opportunity for music is is a connection between music and brands. So I look forward, in, and, and what we have to be able to do is, is demystify music, musical rights. We have to be able to demonstrate to brands that there are platforms that they can use to associate their brands with music in a way that is frictionless mm-hmm. and, and that really adds value to, to their consumers' lives. Yeah, because being, having been in brands, it does seem rather murky and obscure as to how it works. It, yeah, and, it, and it's because, I think going back to the starting point, it's the, the complexity that the industry has um, surrounded itself with. And I don't think, I mean, often people think that this is a malicious, it's kind of, an, it's an right. intentional thing. Right. It's, in my experience, it's cock-up rather than conspiracy nine mm-hmm. times out of ten. It's kind of found itself in this place as a result of changes over the last 100, 150 years of copyright law. So I think, historically, the, the conferences that work for us, you know, conferences that bring together the music community and the technology community, there are not many of them. South by Southwest is really the only one that one feels any sense of excitement going to wow. because you have there a real kind of organic you know um, sense of the coming together of those two industries mm-hmm. and so technology and music have, have been you know difficult bedfellows over the last 15 years but I think we, we're getting beyond that mm-hmm. so now looking forward I think the important thing is that we are we can help the industry build a, br- a bridge to brands because mm-hmm. actually you know, that's the real opportunity for music because music connects people and it, mm. it, it's something that has a real meaning in people's lives and it conveys emotion. And the industry has organised itself really badly <laughs> historically. Mm. Um, and, and, and for us to provide the services that we need to provide to our partners in the labels, in the publishers and in the management companies and, and to the artists directly mm. we've got to help build a bridge to brands in the same way as we have done to technology businesses yeah in the same token brands and corporations in general are bereft of emotion or at least not good at that because they're driving roi and ex- experiences like events where you have great music and music in general is returning some kind of humanity to brands absolutely i think you know having had the f- that have been privileged enough to spend the last you know 15 17 years of my life working in music there's nothing demonstrates the power of music more than a live event you know i think few technology businesses you know setting aside apple for the moment have have created products that people are prepared to sleep on the streets in order to to participate in music still has this immense power mm-hmm. um and i think many brands recognize that i think the challenge is how do you then organize yourselves to capitalize in a way that's authentic so pete our time has come to an end it's been great i could have gone on for a lot longer really great to have you on how can someone track you down or what's the best way to connect with you oh so twitter um twitter and linkedin are the two places where it's easy um pete downton 71 all right pete thanks for being on the show great to have you my pleasure thanks for spending the time thanks for having listened to this recording of the minter dialogue show You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. 
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.